It's all of these elements. Economics, supply chain issues, animal disease, massive locust storms, uh, massive flooding, and the grand solar minimum. It's all swirling that could create a, a, a food disaster, basically. Welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost Podcast, where we discuss the journey to real liberty through self-sufficiency, counter-economics, non-aggression, and the agora. The Outpost represents the border between societal norm and the pioneer spirit. Every episode contains practical, philosophical, and technical information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. Hey everyone, it's Regina, and welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost Podcast. Today is July 14th, and we are talking about food shortages. Are they really happening? What would cause them, and what we can do about it? Uh, And welcome, Cyrus. Good morning. We are colleagues, and we talk about stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. (laughs) How's your morning going? It's going really good. Yeah. Did you eat food this morning? I did eat food this morning. I was happy to have it. Oh, good. What'd you have? Uh, I had some cantaloupe slices and cucumber. Oh, wow. So healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't eat this morning, but I drank coffee till probably 11, and there's cream in my coffee, and technically coffee is a food, so I have some sort of sustenance going on. Yeah. That counts. So... There's been a lot of talk about food shortages incoming, uh, all linked into this, you know, pandemic that we're facing. And there's actually a lot of various moving parts to this food shortage. It's not just directly related to the virus and the supply chain. So right. I kind of wanted to go over a few of the things happening. And then I also kind of want to talk about like, for me, in my area, I'm not really seeing it happening on the shelves. Are you? No. We had that one little spurt there right during the beginning of the the COVID panic. And and I think that's what it was. I think people panicked and went out and bought a bunch of food. Yeah. And that's what it's looking like here uh, in my local store. I'm in South Texas and I went to the store yesterday and I bought a bunch of meat. Everything was at its typical price. There was tons of veggies, tons of fruits, pastas, rice, potatoes, milk, dairy, cheese, eggs. I mean, everything was there. Everything was there. So yeah, it's the it same. makes me wonder if, are we facing a food shortage? What do you think? I don't think we're facing a current food shortage, at least not on a supply chain level, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But I think the danger is in the in the future. Yeah. I think there are there are some things that are adding up that are going to equate to some problems with people being able to get food, whether it's because it's not on the shelves or whether it's because it's no longer affordable. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things going on right now. Yeah. There's a lot of events in the mix that could equate to some level of food shortage. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we tend to, when we hear food shortage, we have like these visions of just bare shelves and people dying on the streets from starvation. So we have this very intense image in our head of what a food shortage is. 
whereas I believe reality is not nearly as extreme. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I think the reality of it is we're going to have less variety and our prices will go up. So people will struggle to afford food and people will not be able to find the things that we're used to finding, especially imported stuff. Right. But I don't necessarily believe we're going to be in a, you know, African style food shortage where they're just in, you know, dire food shortage straits. I don't quite see it reaching that level for us. I don't think so either. I don't think we're going to have a big problem with starvation and like you said, people dying in the streets. I don't know. Back in the back in the Great Depression, though, it was it was pretty tough. You had people standing in line for bread and soup, and well, and we have we have bread lines and we have soup lines. The only difference is that they're disguised with food stamps. Uh, that's a pretty good point. Yeah, yeah, and the and the food stamps are disguised uh, in these EBT cards, so. Now you can't even tell someone who's purchasing with food stamps anymore because it's like a it's a debit card for these people. Yeah. So I have no idea if the guy in front of me and the guy behind me is paying with food stamps or not. Whereas before in the eighties and nineties, I remember, you know, my my family friend, she was on food stamps and you actually got the packet of stamps, and you had to rip them out and you know it took forever and right. it was probably pretty embarrassing for people so right we've shifted our bread lines into digital bread lines yeah i wonder if bringing that up like calling that a bread line and a soup line which in effect it is mm-hmm. what happens if you know with the government sending out just trillions of dollars in relief for people right now What if things go bad enough for the government that they can't sustain the food stamps? The problem is, is that they're just, they're printing money and and they're not even printing money. Right. They're 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 digitally typing in money. Right. So the difference between $1 and a trillion dollars is 16 keystrokes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, so it's like... So, zero, 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 zero. That's right. pretty much what they're doing. It takes them, you know, three seconds to type in uh, a trillion dollars into the economy. And, you know, I think we're on a very close brink of hyperinflation. We're, we're teetering dangerously close to that. Are you saying that, like, food stamps won't ever go away? The cost of everything will just go up because of the inflation, but everybody on food stamps will always have food stamps? That's what it's sounding like. So the people who would be hurt the most are the people not on food stamps. I think we're all going to feel the pinch. I think we're all going to, if this hyperinflation bubble bursts, which I just, I don't see how it couldn't at this point. I mean, we've been talking about hyperinflation for decades, and now we're just printing trillions of dollars out of thin air. Yeah, there's been a lot of economists saying for a long time that this is unsustainable. At some point, it crashes down. Yeah. So it's just a matter of when, not if. You can't print trillions of dollars into oblivion and expect the dollar to hold its value. It's just not possible. You know, so we're going to be looking at possibly super hyperinflated food prices and scarcity of foods, which is going to drive the price even higher 
And that would be more of my concern as opposed to food just literally being wiped off the shelves. I agree with that for sure. You know, and we did see a massive panic buy of food. And we didn't have meat in our stores for over a month in the beginning, back in, I don't know, what what was that, March or April? Yeah, I don't remember, but it was pretty similar here, too, in Arkansas. We went probably two to three weeks with zero meat. Yeah. And then after that, there was just slim choice. Like one day you would go into the store and there would be chicken. And then the Mm. next day you would go in and the chicken's gone, but beef is back. Yep. You know, that happened for another couple of weeks and now it's just normalized again. Yeah, it's normalized. It's stabilized. And we're kind of going through these vicious news cycles. And I really feel like mainstream media is doing us a huge disservice right now. Oh, I completely agree. I'm not sure they've been doing us any service at all for decades. Yeah, it's just gotten worse and worse as the monopoly on mainstream media has, you know, they have the stranglehold. So they direct the narrative. So the narrative was for at least a week of news cycles that all of these farm animals are being slaughtered because the farmers can't get the, the meat packaged they can't, uh, the meat packing plants are overwhelmed. So farmers are now slaughtering millions of animals and we're not going to have meat. And then we don't have meat at the stores. But was that from the farm animals being cold or was that from people panic buying from the mainstream media's message? Yeah, I think it was a panic buy. Mm-hmm. I think it was oh my gosh, the Spanish flu is back, everyone's going to die. Yeah. Hoard all your food, make sure you got plenty of toilet paper. Well, and I know I did, and I had been following the coronavirus since early January, and I sounded the alarm really early, and people Mm. were, you know, I sent messages to friends personally Yeah. of, hey, like, take this virus seriously, stock up on food, stock up on supplies, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I heard so much flack. Yeah. And then uh, I released it on my website as well. I actually wrote a book. I wrote a mini ebook. Mm-hmm. And I released it in January about this coronavirus issue. Yeah. And I got banned on all the platforms. <laughs> <laughs> they banned my book. And I... There was no reason to ban it because everything in the book was surrounded by facts. I had, I actually have all the facts listed right, and from credible sources, so it wasn't fake news. You sourced everything really well in that ebook, and if I'm remembering right, I read it <clears throat> back then, and if I'm remembering right, it's not like you were wrong. It's just like phase two and three hadn't happened yet. Well, yeah, and... Pretty much everything that I wrote, like, has more or less materialized. Not the... Well, I broke the book down into three phases, and that was the the soft phase, the hard phase, and the dark phase. Right. Which each phase is contingent on the prior phase happening. Yeah. So you're not going to get to the hard phase unless you have the soft phase. So we've been touching between the hard and soft phase. Right. And, and I- then the... Go ahead. Well, and I, I think you're, I, I, I think there's a pretty good possibility that you're still going to be right about the hard phase. 
I just don't think it's going to happen until fall or winter. Yeah, I thought it was going to happen a lot faster, but this is more of a slow burn, and it very could happen. It very well could happen. The dark phase could happen, which is essentially shit hits the fan mm-hmm. hard. But a lot of the predictions have already come true, and it, and I just based it off of like common sense. So I suppose I should probably link to the ebook just so if people are interested in reading it. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of good information in there. And like you yeah. said earlier, it's all sourced. Like you didn't make this stuff up. Oh, no. It was all based in fact, and it was not fear-mongering, and yet I still got banned from Amazon and Barnes and & Nobles and Smashwords, all the fun, you know, big places. Right. They all banned me. And if, if they had not banned me, so many more people could have been forewarned, because I was warning people before people even had their minds around it. And I think I got like 300 ebook downloads, so at least I helped 300 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you do? Um, But I think the point of bringing that up was I was very forewarned and I was able to get in and do all my preps for this, you know, situation probably a month before people were prepping. Yeah, I was caught completely off guard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't even know coronavirus was happening. I mean, we kind of, we live in the woods and at times... You know, there might be a stretch of time I don't go into town for a while and we don't own a TV. And so if I'm not surfing the Internet, seeing headlines, then I don't really know what's going on sometimes. And yeah, yeah, I was caught off guard. I go to the grocery store and I'm like, where the hell is the toilet paper? You know, (laughs) why are they? Why is there not a single roll of toilet paper? It was really weird to me. And then um, totally weird. But we also we also have set ourselves up. So that, well, it's just not that big a deal. If there's no meat at the store, it's just not that big a deal for us. Yeah, and you're 100% off-grid, and you've had to uh, provide your own sustenance throughout your history of being off-grid. So you're much more comfortable in the situation, whereas, you know, imagine the folks in the city. Right. And you are 100% dependent on the municipal systems around you. Right. Which is... I mean, in my opinion, it's just dangerous to be that dependent on anything, really. Just not good planning. But, you know, we've grown up believing that that is good planning. And that's so you can't fault people for that. But I do think it's time for people to shift their perception of how stable our systems are. Yes. Oh, yes. And that was a big shift. You know, that was something I researched a little bit about the Great Depression, was even though, you know, the Great Dust Bowl happened and there was bread lines and soup lines, 40% of Americans were on small farms back then. Right. 40%. And I think the uh, percentage now is like less than 10%. Yeah, it's under 10%. And, Mm -hmm. And not only that, but even the people during the Great Depression that didn't live on the farms... They were mm-hmm. the portion that were living in the cities. They still knew how to grow, grow food if they needed to. You know, mm-hmm. a large portion of the people in the cities were not so far removed from a time when everybody grew their own food. Yeah. Yeah, they were only, you know, their parents grew their own food. They grew up on a farm and then right. moved to the city. Right. So it wasn't a multi-generational city person to city person more and more dependent on the system. Mm-hmm. That's right. We, you know, my wife and I, we weren't even going to grow a garden this year because Mm 
well, I was making some changes to the to the landscape here, and and garden just wasn't going to be a thing this year for us. And and then I go to the store, and there's no toilet paper. And then I'm talking to you, and you're saying, "Hey, we'll check out this ebook." And I read that ebook, and I'm like, "Damn, maybe we should grow some food," you know. And I'm yeah. and I'm glad we did. And it wasn't until after I read your ebook that my wife and I decided we should just throw together an emergency garden, and we just threw one together. I mean, it was really really kind of pathetic <laughs> but i mean we've got we've got tomatoes and cucumbers and squash and all that now awesome so you are so your garden has been fruitful despite just slamming it into the ground and hoping for the best yeah parts of it and there are mm-hmm. some portions of it that aren't working and that was kind of a concern when we went into it because it was such a haphazard kind of plan but yeah yeah we're we're still getting lots of vegetables right now that's great that's awesome. Yeah, emergency gardens are a real thing, and you can make it happen. Um, we kind of had the same situation. We live, you know, in the RV, as you all know. And typically at RV parks, you don't have any room to plant a garden. I mean, that's just, it's a non-thing. Right. Uh, but we, we happen to move into an RV park where they, where the spaces are ample, and they allowed us to put in a garden. So we also did the same thing and just slammed in a car, a garden haphazardly. It took a lot of work. Don't get me wrong, but we made it happen and some things have failed and some things have succeeded and we're still getting stuff out of it, even though it's scorching hot out. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we uh, at least had the foresight, you know? Right. And if you're in a position now where you don't even know how to throw a garden together, Mm -hmm. then even if you had been in the position to know that it's coming, if you've never grown a garden before, you're at a severe disadvantage. Yeah. Yeah. So at least, at least grow a garden for nothing else, just to have the skill because yeah, you rarely get to, you rarely get it right the first time you try it. Gar- Holy moly. It takes a lot of skill. Yeah. Gardening Man. is not easy. Well, and we're from Montana, so we're used to, a cool, short growing season. Our topsoil there is phenomenal. Montana topsoil is just fantastic. And there's not a whole lot of pests because the pests freeze out every year. Yeah. So we're in South Texas right now. And we're literally in sand. I mean, our ground is, there. there is no topsoil, it's sand. Right. We just put this garden together and amended with some potting soil and kind of hope for the best. And things actually did fairly well, being that we grew almost directly in sand. But then we had this massive attack on our garden from what's called a leaf cutter ant. Mm-hmm. And our garden is still getting attacked today. Actually, it got attacked two nights ago, our watermelons. Our vines got chopped off from them. And we had no idea what these things were. We just went out to the garden. And I'm like, "What's? why are there holes cut out of our leaves? <laughs> like, yeah. what? what is that? What would do that? And we're like, I don't know. And, and then we finally found one of the ants and they have really big heads and really big pinchers. And this thing is cutting a dang hole out of our leaf. Yeah. Carrying it away. It's crazy. And apparently they carry away the leaf and they take it into the ground and they grow their own fungus that they eat. So it is nearly impossible to eradicate these things because a, their nests are massive. So, even to destroy a nest is like practically impossible. 
And then you have the issue of, well, even if you destroy the nest, all it takes is one worker ant to become a queen ant and make another nest. So they're constantly re-nesting. And then C, they eat, they, they farm their own food, the fungus, so they do not, you cannot use ant killer because ant killer works because the ant eats the poison and takes it back to the nest. They're pretty much an indestructible pest, and they probably cost us about 60% of our, our crop. Good grief. Easily. Well, I'll tell you something I've learned this year, at least something that I think I've learned that is really helpful. Mm-hmm. Because we weren't really prepared to put in a garden this year, I didn't develop an area to garden. Because the, the area that we used previously, anyway, we can't. And anyway, what that left me was this... Uh, place where I just threw together some raised beds and some tires and uh, anyway, it was crazy. But Yeah, and you you showed all that stuff on your YouTube channel, right? You have Yeah, I've got a couple of videos on how I did that on um, the Off Grid Maker YouTube channel. Yeah. But here's the interesting part. Weeds are growing up all around my raised beds and the tires mm-hmm. that we planted in. There's and I just because I didn't prepare the area, there's just weeds growing up everywhere. Mm-hmm. I I haven't had a problem with pests yet this year, which is yeah. which is crazy for Arkansas because Arkansas is kind of like Texas. You get these hot, humid summers where pests thrive. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if it's one of those permaculture kind of things where just having such a wide variety of all kinds of stuff just in an, in one area cuts down on the pest problem. So it's, it's just a pretty interesting uh, something that I noticed in our garden. Hmm. You think the weeds are keeping the pest down? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, permaculture, permaculture literature that, that says large variety of plants helps keep pests down. Interesting. When they say that, they're really talking about, you know, don't monocrop. Don't plant one entire field full of corn because when the pest that loves corn shows up, it decimates. They decimate. Yeah. They decimate. And I'm just yeah. wondering if the fact that I have all these weeds surrounding all my plants, that it just, I don't know, camouflages my plants from the pests. Because I haven't had a... Hmm. I usually always have to fight pests and I haven't had to this year. That is an interesting concept. And I think our modern day farming system has moved so far away from like the natural order of things Mm -hmm. that we are having, you know, to use these massive pesticides and then the pests become resilient to the pesticides and then they have to become stronger. And so we're kind of making this self-fulfilling prophecy of creating these massive uh, GMO pesticide uh dependent plants and it's just it's not right you know but at the same time it's like how do you feed the masses then exactly because people have stopped feeding themselves yeah so it's coming full circle Mm -hmm. it's coming full circle with a vengeance i think and i mean that's why it's just so important to grow your own food you know food sovereignty is uh huge even if it's only even 10 person even if you can move 10 percent of your diet away from these large food systems. Yeah. You're doing yourself a huge service. Yeah. Not to yourself, but to everybody around you, too. Because if everybody was just to put in that little bit more effort and have food sovereignty, it would bring back food diversity. And there's so many things you can plant in your garden that you just can't even buy at the store anymore. 
Oh, yeah. Like when I started the uh, seeds, so I sell survival seed packs on MaximumOffGrid.com. And you can just go right to the website and I have a thing right on the main page um, Mm -hmm. where you can go to the survival seed packs. When I started that and I realized the massive diversity of foods that we just do not get in our grocery store. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get maybe 2% available to us. Yeah. You know, all the different types of hot peppers and sweet peppers and all the different types of squashes and beans. And it was just really eye-opening to me because we've gotten so used to relying on our dang grocery store, these supermarkets. And that happened in the 50s. Yeah. What they do with when they're deciding what vegetables to put in the grocery store, it doesn't have anything to do with flavor or taste or nutritional value or anything. It only has to do with how easy does it store, stack, how long does it last before it starts going bad, how nice, yeah. how long does it look nice, and those are their decision uh, yeah. parameters. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, some of those food varieties that you can't buy in the store either because their shelf life is a little bit shorter, they will they will go bad a little bit quicker, or maybe they're just some odd, funky, weird shape that doesn't stack well. And so, you know. It's so true. But some of them are fabulous, you know, delicious. We've experimented with all kinds of different vegetables in our mm-hmm. time. And, and there's some really good food out there that people don't even know is available to them. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. I agree. Um, Just in that, just for that sake, you know, growing your own food, even if you're not worried about a food shortage or scarcity or economics, any of it, even just for that enjoyment and fulfillment of trying new, unique things. Yeah, that's a good enough reason just by itself. Oh, yeah. Like we planted uh, purple bell peppers. Mm-hmm. Which you would think purple bell peppers would be all over the supermarkets just because it's beautiful, but they're right. not. I didn't even know purple bell peppers were a thing. Right. And so we grew some, and they're really good. And uh, purple, the color purple in fruits and vegetables has a a very high nutrition value that you don't get in other colors. But you don't see purple very often. So having a purple bell pepper is going to give you a different nutrition variation that you're not going to get in other colors. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah, so I'd like to circle back a little bit to the meat food shortage situation. Mm -hmm. And and now we're going to go into a little bit maybe conspiracy theory area. Hold on, let me grab my my full hat. And Get then, the foil hat out. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. <laughs> okay. You got it? Mm-hmm. Are we good? Okay, good. I don't know. I feel like when we talk about conspiracy theories, quote unquote, they're pretty like actually rational and reasonable conspiracy theories. We don't go too hardcore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the truth is there are conspiracies. I mean, some of them aren't theories. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not ever going to hear us say that the earth is flat or Mm-mm. or that we never landed on the moon. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to go that hardcore <laughs> so. and uh, never will. But these, to me, are the most suspect 
conspiracy theories that I think are just, I think they're conspiracy facts, personally. Right. And if you, if you don't believe that very large corporations are not trying to figure out ways to sell more food, then you're just, I mean, you're living under a rock. Yeah, that's just oblivion right there. I mean, they will do whatever they think they can to make more money. That's what they do. That's what they're there for is to make money. So that is a conspiracy when a group of people get together to try and figure out how to make more money. That is a conspiracy. Well, and the definition of conspiracy is two or more people coming up with a plan, right? Pretty much. Right. I mean, we're kind of conspiring right now, I guess. Yes, exactly. You and I are (laughs) conspiring on this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. So... I don't know if anyone out there, I'm sure you have, has heard of the Beyond Meat Corporation, the Beyond Meat Company. Uh, I have not. This is news for me. Okay. So Beyond Meat is a company that is taking plant matter and they are creating meat, quote unquote, meat that tastes and acts just like meat. So it's... It's basically like a veggie burger a veggie burger on steroids. Okay. So is it is it aimed at vegetarians or is it like a more uh feed the masses kind of thing? This is a feed the masses movement with okay. Beyond Meat. Okay. Yes. It has been funded by huge huge investors. I'm talking multi-billion dollar investors, all the big names. Um I can't speak exactly to who those investors are off the top of my head. I want to say Bill Gates is in there. I'm sure he is. He's a big feed the masses kind of person. Yeah. So basically they are saying that if we can eliminate meat from our diet and bring in this beyond meat, which you are now starting to see pop up in grocery stores, you may have seen it in your grocery store that we can save the environment, that we can feed the masses, that we can do all these wonderful things. And if you actually look at the ingredients, I mean, these this is like Franken-meat. This is Frankenstein meat. It is, it is, I don't want to put it into my body. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, that sounds creepy. So I'm on their website right now and it says their process is simple. We source the building blocks of meat directly from plants. Using heating, cooling, and pressure, we create the fibrous texture of meat from from plant-based proteins. We then mix in fats, minerals, fruits, and vegetable-based colors, natural flavors, and carbohydrates to replicate the appearance, juiciness, and flavor of the meat. Apparently, it tastes a whole lot like meat. This reminds me of like science fiction movies where everybody's on a spaceship and they're all eating the same goop. It is. It's goop. Or Soylent <laughs> Green. Wasn't that like a thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, what's what's wrong with just meat? I mean, why do we, why do we have to get rid of meat? Well, why are we, um, why are we switching from natural to unnatural? Yeah. So I'm just kind of looking at the investors here. Just really quick search. And it looks like we have a lot of the meat companies themselves investing in it. That seems counterintuitive. That is a little bit weird. I didn't know about that. We have 
Tyson Foods. That's huge. Yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. I think, too, going back to the vegetable side of it, the gardening and stuff, if you do it just so that you know how to do it, it just makes you safer. It's like not any different than like everybody insists on that they should have health insurance. Mm-hmm. And knowing how to grow your own food isn't any different than health insurance. It it protects you against things that could go wrong. Exactly. Um. So I just pulled up a quick ingredient list in the Beyond Beef, uh, ground beef. We've got water, pea protein, expeller pressed canola oil, refined coconut oil, rice protein, natural flavors, cocoa butter, mung bean protein, methyl cellulose, potato starch, apple extract, pomegranate extract, salt, potassium chloride, vinegar, lemon juice concentrate, sunflower lecithin, beet juice extract. Wow. Yeah. So this is just a cheaper way to feed people. That's all this is about. It's basically a cheaper way to feed people through hyper-processed plant products. Mass production. Mass-produced, hyper-processed plant products. And for me, like, I stopped eating canola oil because a lot of research come out that uh, canola oil is linked to... I'm having a senior moment. It's linked to dementia and Alzheimer's. Yeah. I think I had a little bit of that happen right there. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't give up canola oil soon enough. <laughs> exactly. And, I mean, I'm not just, like, talking out of my ass here. I've done the research. Yeah. There is, there is direct links of canola oil to these brain issues. And the third ingredient is canola oil. So that is troubling. There are certain things like potassium chloride in there I'd be a little troubled about. Methyl cellulose. These are unnatural states of food. Yeah. And I guess to be the devil's advocate, the proponents of this type of food production would just say it's the next step in civilization's evolution. You know, like there was a time when we were just hunters and gatherers and then we learned how to grow food. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the that was the first big step for civilization, and this is just the next one. You know, I guess the that, transhumanist movement, yeah, the transhumanist movement of making unnatural foods to feed the masses, to save the planet, to save the environment, the X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But I want to eat meat. Yeah. I want to eat natural made meat. What are the repercussions of this that we're not seeing? There's things you cannot duplicate. You cannot duplicate certain amino acids in this Beyond Meat crap. There are certain things you just cannot create in a lab that you get from natural meat. Yeah, our bodies have evolved over such long periods of time to live on this stuff, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. what kind of effects is it going to have on future generations when we stop eating the food that it's got us to this point? Exactly. You know, evolutionarily speaking. Yeah. And so they're pushing this agenda. They're they're pushing this, you know, go meatless agenda, beyond meat agenda. And we're seeing this synchronize with all of a sudden farmers are culling all their, their meat because the meatpacking plants are shut down. And we lost 25% of our pigs worldwide because of African swine flu. And now China is 
mass culling chickens because they're finding another H1N1 outbreak. And it just seems like there's an attack on our meat system right now. It's just, it may be a conspiracy theory, but it's really hard to not connect those dots. Right. It's feeding into this Beyond Meat agenda. I mean, it's feeding right into it. Yeah. And Tyson Foods is one of their uh, investors. Yeah. they're One of the biggest meat producers <laughs> is one of the investors in Beyond Meat. Well, you know, I, I was going to bring up one point that when we're talking about the meat and we're talking about swine flu and flu that kills the birds and the chickens and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If you can get yourself off grid and you live in a place where you can raise animals, you don't have to like none of that is a concern for you. Exactly. None of it. And yes, some of these like raising rabbits is easy. Mm-hmm. And you you can, I mean, you can have a ton of meat just raising rabbits. It's true. I oh man. I fluffy bunnies. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I I get that. Like, oh, I get way too attached to animals. It'd be it'd be difficult for me. However, and I just want to point out with rabbits is that you can. Uh, there's a thing, and it's called uh, rabbit starvation. And rabbits are so lean that you could eat rabbit and still starve. Like you could eat rabbit all day and still starve. So you have to have a fat source. Sure. Yeah. Just to put that out there. It's just a little fact I picked up along my research somewhere. You know, diversity in your food supply is definitely important. It's been important for us forever, which is I, which is another weird thing about this uh, Beyond Meat. I'm going to have to come up with a better name for that because that's just a, the marketing person on this was terrible. Yeah, I know, right? Um, but... I don't know. That's just weird stuff. I guess I would be okay with it. I would be okay with eating the meat goop for sustenance if Elon Musk lets me go to Mars, you know? Okay, you know, sure. <laughs> I think I might I might eat some meat goop to go to Mars. But you know what he said about Mars is that he said, if you go to Mars, you're not coming back. Yeah, so it's like a one-way one trip. That's right. <laughs> but I tell you what, if I if I get an invitation, I'm in. On a one-way trip to Mars. Okay, well, I I don't think you're gonna get one. I hate I, to break. This. I'm pretty sure I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not on the short list. I hate to break this to you, <laughs> but yeah, I I don't have a desire to leave the planet. No, it, Although it, I've had a lot of dreams, I've had a lot of space travel dreams, which is really cool. So I feel right. like in my own mind, I have personally already left the planet. You have already made those journeys. Yes, I've made those journeys, and I and I have very vivid, vivid dreams, and I have very good dream memory recall. So, I've been there, done that. I've I've already done the space trips. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I'm not so fortunate. Yeah. Anyway, so that doesn't have a lot to do with today's topic, but that's okay. So, I think it's just all kind of playing into their narrative, into the propaganda of meat is so polluting and bad for the environment. And here, you know, here's problem, solution. You know, they present the problem, they present the solution for us. So they introduce the problem of farmers culling animals and disease and plague and all the animals and, uh, you know, just this massive disruption to our meat industry. But here's Beyond Meat, our our lab-made transhumanist meat that's so much better. It's just the answer for all our problems. 
And then, and then how many years down the road before it's actually illegal to raise your own rabbits? Well, and that's where my fear is, is that through the generations, because that's what they do is a condition each generation to fit their narrative. Mm -hmm. So you and I may not accept it, but our children and our children's children, they may have no choice but to accept it and they will be propagandized to be happy to accept it. Yeah. Wow, crazy stuff. It is crazy stuff. For me, I'm personally more of a foragey type person. Mm-hmm. I tend to go more the hunting, trapping, fishing route. Right. So I'm really excellent at fishing. My fishing skills have really increased. And I have a book. I'm all about, you know, print books. I have a trapping book, the Trapper's Bible. Mm-hmm. And that goes over so many various ways to create uh primitive trapping systems. So I don't have to learn all the trapping systems. I have it in a book, you know? Right. So if SHTF with our meat situation on our food industry, I feel like there is enough knowledge for me to go out and forage greens and nuts and fruits and hunt and fish to, to reasonably provide for myself. And then the rest is made up by my food stores, which is a lot of beans, rice, dehydrated things, canned things. Mm-hmm. So I feel pretty confident that I could I could feed my family. Right. With my knowledge and skill set. Yeah, we have gone the route as preppers. We, we prep heavily on the skill set side. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't have... Uh, but just a little bit of food store. Yeah. Because I, I rely heavily on my ability, like you, to hunt and fish and trap. And uh, I have a really extensive knowledge on foraging. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of the route we've taken also, as opposed to having a year's worth of food packed up. The mega preps. Y- yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the route that we've chosen. Yeah. Um, well, and in our situation, we live in an RV, so how much prep can we do? Exactly, you know, we, yeah. It's, uh, you know, space is always an issue, and we're constantly moving, so we're going into new environments and new terrains. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing we typically do is we start evaluating what's around us. Well, South Texas, there is a lot of resources down here. Mm-hmm. Granted, everything wants to bite you, sting you, poison you, hurt you. It's crazy. <laughs> And getting through the woods here, it's like, it's more so jungle, jungle environment than woods. So it would be difficult, but man, we've seen gators in ditches. We saw a six foot gator in a ditch the other day. I'm like, pop that thing. There's meat for a freaking, I don't know, a week. Right. Longer. Yeah. For two people, at least a week. Yeah. And then, you know, you just have a book on how to dehydrate, store, salt, cure meat, mm-hmm. which I have. <laughs> right. You know, how to process your meat. So I, I feel confident that we could survive it. Uh, people in suburbs and cities might be a little rougher, but you can still have an exit strategy and have the knowledge to gather your own foods. Yeah. By flee- basically fleeing the city, I think, is what it would take. Yeah. In a, in a SHTF situation, cities are not going to be safe places. They're already not safe places. I mean, look at all this rioting and protesting and the bizarro world.
world. The bizarro. It's just become the bizarro world. Mm-hmm. Upside down land. Mm-hmm. I would have never thought we would have seen some of the things that we've seen. Police departments getting disbanded. That's like Minneapolis. Isn't it Minneapolis? Mm. That's... Was it Minneapolis that de- disbanded the police? I know they were talking about it. I never followed up on it. I yeah, I haven't either. Happened. Yeah, but there is, yeah, lots of talks to disband the police. And the issue is when you make those decisions, there will be another force that steps in to keep order. Yeah. You know, and that force is going to be gangs and mafia. Well, I mean, it, it could be that way. It could be. I think that in the way that we're demanding, I say we, I'm not demanding it, but uh, demanding that the police forces be defunded and and all of that, I, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Because I think no, we end up closer not. to what you described. Mm-hmm. You Just know. handing over the cities to the criminals, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Organized crime yeah. is a thing. You know, it's mm. been around for a long time. Right. <laughs> um, so before we go, there is one uh, person I'd like to talk about. And it's a channel on YouTube called Ice Age Farmer mm-hmm. Christian. And he is extremely bearish on food. Like he really feels we are going into a massive food crisis, a massive food shortage. Mm-hmm. And... I think he goes a little far with it. I think he goes a little fear-mongery with it. But I think he's he truly is coming from a place where he wants to help people. Yeah. He's not trying to benefit off people's fear. He's just liter- legitimately that worried about it. But in his channel, he really goes into a lot of what's going on. And he has all of the evidence to back it up. So he's not pulling it out of his ass. And uh, he goes into the topic of the grand solar minimum. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. what's going on with that. Yeah. In fact, I've watched some of his stuff on the grand solar minimum. Pretty interesting mm-hmm. stuff where he comes at, you know, the environment side of it based on cycles that we've already been through and what has happened politically and socially during those cycles. Pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. And for people who haven't heard of the grand solar minimum, Basically, our sun goes through these cycles of maximums and minimums, and right now we are heading into a minimum, and it's not just any minimum, it's a grand minimum, which means we are seeing a cooling of our our planet, which is very, very counterintuitive to the propaganda that the Earth is heating up. Right. And notice how they switch from global warming to climate change for the, you know... Yeah, that. right. Well, I remember early in the 80s, they were talking Ice Age for a while. Mm-hmm. And the thing that he does that you don't really hear from your normal types of uh, climate change people is he's not saying it's people's fault. He's just saying these are normal cycles that just happen yes. throughout our history and they're predictable. Exactly. And this one happens to be you know, we're on the minimum of things. So there is, you know, tons of snow and tons of ice and winter has not gone anywhere. Unlike Al Gore saying that our children would never see winter. Mm -hmm. I remember that being a big thing that our children would never see snow. So he's saying to my generation, your children will never see snow. Well, now I have a 20 year old daughter and trust me, she's seen snow. She lived in Montana most of her life. (laughs) Right. Well, what's really, we saw snow. (laughs) 
what's really awesome about that Al Gore deal, that move, that, what was the name of that movie with him? The Inconvenient Truth. Is it The Inconvenient Truth where he's talking so. all the uh, fear mongering about global warming and all that? Yeah. I think they were still calling it global warming back then. They were, they were, yes. But what's funny is go back and watch that show today mm-hmm. and listen to all his dire predictions and the time frames that he gives have come and gone. It's true. Like That's crazy. The sea levels were supposed to rise by a foot within 15 years. or I don't remember exactly, but yeah, he was way off. But they're still yeah, promoting all the same. Off. They're still promoting all the same data. They just moved the time frames because they missed them. Yeah, exactly. And now, you know, the curious question is why are we having record-breaking cold temperatures record-breaking snowdrops record-breaking ice in the arctic and antarctic and i'm not pulling this you know i'm not making this up this is literally stuff that you can you can find and it's well researched that we are having record-breaking cool temperatures yeah and winters to the point that it's disrupting our agriculture production it's really kind of a big deal but it doesn't fit the narrative so mm-hmm. you know you have to actually you know, do your own research. So, um, Ice Age Farmer goes into it, and then also Oppenheimer Ranch Project. Oh, He's a little kooky. I'm just going to warn you, but he has very great scientific evidence to support Grand Solar Minimum. I have not seen that one. I'll have to look that one up. Oppenheimer Ranch Project. Oppenheimer Ranch Project. Yeah. Okay. It's really good. There, it, it, he gets a little. A little cray cray at times, but if you can get past diamonds, cray cray, and really <laughs> listen to the facts, it's it's pretty eye opening. Yeah, <laughs> he's funny though. Like you'll get entertainment of anything. <laughs> um, so I just kind of wanted to throw out there. You know, we've got. It may not necessarily be the pandemic, popping the food bubble. Not that we're in a food bubble, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's all of these elements of economics, of supply chain issues, of animal disease, massive locust storms, uh, massive flooding, and the grand solar minimum. It's all swirling that could create a, a, a food disaster, basically. Yeah. So, you know, grow food, people. Yeah. The great thing about that is that those problems are easy to solve. Mm-hmm. Just learn to grow food. That's well, it's they're, that they're much simple. Easier. Yeah, they're much easier to solve than we think. We feel it's so hard because we have become so reliant on the teat of the supermarket. Mm-hmm. But we've only had supermarkets since the fifties. So think about that. We've only been on supermarkets for seventy years. Right. So we've made it for thousands of years before this millisecond that supermarkets have been around. Yeah, and, you know, I would suggest to people who are not in a great position to grow a garden. Maybe you live in the middle of the city in an apartment or whatever. Mm -hmm. But even then, there are things you can do. You know, you can grow onions in a windowsill. You can grow tomatoes on a balcony in a Mm five-gallon bucket. There's... uh, in a lot of places, there are little community gardens that you can volunteer in and share the produce. Go out there and, and find a way to learn how to grow something. Yeah. Just learn how to grow something. I mean, because if you wait until you're in that position, 
the learning curve is pretty big for being it successful is. at growing food. It really so, is. It's it's a steeper learning curve than I expected. Yeah, so don't wait until you have to to learn how. Just start doing it now. And it's enjoyable. It's really funny how the the food that you eat that you grew tastes better. Way better. And I, and half of that, I believe, is just psychological because you grew it. Yeah, you're probably right. There's a lot of satisfaction in just producing your own food. It's amazing how good it feels just to do that. It's true. Well, in growing potatoes in like a bucket system, you can yeah. get like 10, 20, 30 pounds of potatoes just growing them out of buckets. And potatoes store in a cool, dry place. If you cure your potatoes, they'll, they'll last three to six months on the shelf. Right. And, and then you'll get potatoes that start to grow, and then you just re keep regrowing them. You know? That's right. And, and and there are even crops that you can just leave in the ground. You don't even have to harvest them until you're ready to eat them. They'll last all through winter. Like what? Uh, you've got the uh, sunchoke, which is actually tastes better if you leave it in the ground through winter. So, Interesting. Yeah, if you harvest it in the fall, it's... Uh, I mean, it, they're delicious either way. But if you wait till winter to harvest them, they're sweeter. Or not winter, but... Uh, spring. They're sweeter. You know, carrots. I've never had a sunchoke, I don't think. Yeah, also known as Jerusalem artichoke. They grow, hmm. they grow wild. They're a wild edible, but you can grow them also. And in some health food stores, you can buy the tubers, which is the edible part. It kind of looks like ginger. Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of health food stores, you can just buy it there, and it's terribly expensive. It's like $8 a pound. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and it's highly nutritious. If you're the type of person that needs extra inulin in your diet, they're like 70% inulin. Interesting. So, yeah, but there's a lot of root crops that you can just leave in the ground. You don't even have to harvest them until you're ready to eat them. That's a good point. I'm going to have to grow some sunchokes or forage for them because for some reason I've heard of them, but I've never actually tasted one. Yeah, and you should be able to find them. I would guess they're... Easily found in the climate that you're in right now. Oh, interesting. I'll have to take a look. Um, and I also want to say that food is money. So, or I should say food is currency. Yeah. So in a situation, if SHTF, or it doesn't even have to be total SHTF. It could be a, you know, just a soft, you know, crunch on food. You can barter food for things you need or one food for another. Yeah. So you can go, you know, if these, I imagine if things got pretty bad, like community pop-ups would happen where people are selling and buying food and goods. Mm -hmm. It's just going to naturally happen. Yeah. So you can take your uh, onions that you grew on your windowsill and trade them for chicken eggs or something you need. Right to live off of. So that's another point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I feel like this is maybe a good time to wrap things up. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you found this episode informative and maybe a little entertaining. And uh, don't forget to check out our home bases. Cyrus has offgridmaker.com and I have maximumoffgrid.com. And between the two, you could uh, go off grid mm -hmm. with all the knowledge. So um, stay tuned for next week episode, and we'll see you then. Talk to you guys later. Ciao. Here's a little teaser for what's coming next week. 
the government makes sure that all the wrong things that they want to do, they make sure it's legal. They don't, they don't do anything illegal. So don't get confused about what's legal and illegal being the same as what's right and wrong, because it's not the same at all. Thanks for listening to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you can get all the new episodes. 